Good morning. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Riverstone. I'm glad you're with us. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians 2. Uh, we're going to read a portion of scripture. We'll pray. Uh, we'll talk about the Bible. Um, come to the table and we will make time uh, to receive prayer at the end. Okay. So let me read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 to us. And we'll get into it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them all, we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You got to diagram these sentences, man, these, this guy. For by grace, you've been saved through Faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, I ask right now that scales would fall from eyes, that ears would be unstuck, unplugged. Pray for sight to come to the blind, Lord. Um, those of us in this room who can't see you, who can't see your kindness right now. Lord, I pray for the hearts in this room for whom your kindness has been blotted out by clouds and darkness circumstance, burdens. Father, I pray for those in this room right now whose their soul feels doubled over under the pressure, under the responsibility, under the expectations. God, would you set us free? Holy Spirit, come and breathe life to the dead places in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At all times and in all places, in every moment of every day, regardless of whether we've labeled that moment sacred or secular, we find ourselves in a spiritual tug of war. On the one side, Christ is pulling us upward where he is seated in the heavenlies. He's pulling us up above our sin and our shame and our guilt. He's pulling us to a higher perspective where we see things differently out of the valley, over the treetops of our situations, 
so that we could perceive the terrain of our life with clarity and precision. On the other side, temptation, sin, the flesh, and the devil pulling us downward into the muck in the mire, reducing our perception to what is immediately in front of us, blinding us to the kindness of God, convincing us that you're on your own. And if you want satisfaction, you're gonna have to get it yourself, fleeting and temporal as it may be. On the one side of this cosmic tug of war, God employs mercy, Love, self-sacrifice, invitation, eternal fullness. His is a cord of kindness with which he longs to lead you out of death and into life, out of asphyxiation, into breathing again. God employs in this tug of war the beauty of creation. He employs the warmth of unconditional love he employs the life, death, and resurrection of his son, the splendor of the radiance of Jesus, make up the tools of his attraction. On the other side, the enemy employs pride, the promise of power, lust satisfied, immediate gratification, unrestrained self-indulgence, self-promotion, self-worship, the promise to be your own God. Divinity itself promised to us, empty as the promise may be, we still fill the pool downwards. Even now, God reaching down to us to raise us up and the enemy scratching at your heels to pull you down. And at the root of it all, the most important indicator as to which way your heart will eventually be pulled is your perception of God. Each one of us has our hearts chained to a perception of God. A perception of God. If we see him, as scripture clearly says, if we see him as Jesus said he was, we will be pulled upward towards him in faith. If we project human characteristics like that of the Greek gods onto him. The Greek gods were just human in God form, full of lust and rage and envy, just like us. If we project on him who we are, we pe we're pulled down towards our own depravity, right? You will be raised up or brought low based on your view of God. You will be raised up or brought low based on your view of God. For this reason, Tozer says, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most important fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. A.W. Tozer, knowledge of the holy. Being raised up with Christ, y'all, has less to do with your behavior and more to do with what in your heart of hearts you really believe God to be like. Christianese word for this is faith. You see, this 
your perception of God, who you think God is, is one of the ways by grace through faith works, right? God redeems if, oh, well, where do I, hell, I, got, I got you, bro. I got you. This is one of the ways by faith through grace worth. Is that what I said? Works? Works? I don't know. Sean, I'm sorry, dude. I lost it. I got off my notes, you know, this is problems. God redeems us first by redeeming our perception of him. Then our lives follow. That's how faith through grace works. If you're a Christian, you might remember your conversion. Uh, for me, when I was saved, uh, the revelation wasn't, if I follow these rules, I'll go to heaven, and I sure don't want to go to the other place. Um, that really wasn't on the radar at all for me when I became a Christian. Uh, in fact, it wasn't primarily things true about me that transformed my life. No, 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 no. It was despite things true about me. It was despite all of the evil in the world, this thought came into my mind and heart and life, and it was that God was good and he loved me. The simpleness of that idea, it was the realization of the character and nature of God that did something in my life. It was like a bomb went off. <laughs> so grew up in church, okay? Bomb went off when I realized that Jesus was God? <laughs> grew up in church, man. Sunday school my whole life. And then all of a sudden, I'm, here I am, 16, 15 years old, however old I was, go to a youth group, and this guy says Jesus was God wrapped in flesh. And I was like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding? It was God who died? It was God who suffered? It blew my mind. It was a revelation of who God was in Christ that changed me forever. It's why I'm standing here right now. Something was open to me. I realized something. Despite my sin, despite all the evil, despite all the suffering I see in the world, despite all of the storms that we can point to to say, God is not good. Despite the news, despite all the things, all of your history, all of your past, all your trauma, all the things that we would point to to say, how dare you would suggest the creator of all this is good. Something happened. Something defied my experience of the cosmos. And it was the nature and character of who God is. You don't think saying out loud God is good is defiant? Do you understand how rebellious this statement is against the world? When you look around a world at which God seems to have vanished, you look at suffering, genocide, war, pain, heartache, rape, exploitation, all of the evils in the world, and we have the audacity to suggest that God is good? Does anyone else feel the struggle here? Something happens in you when you begin to see that God is good. We take it for granted. We just sang it, many of us, mindlessly, that God is good. This is a statement of faith that is in defiance of all of our experience, y'all. If we think God is petty and pedantic and teetotaling, we become petty, arrogant, legalistic. If we think God is angry and withholding and manipulative, then we become frustrated angry, and we want to control others. Let me read you another bit of Tozer. Yeah, Tozer, amen, right? You ever read Tozer? My goodness. This is not in the bookstore, but it should be. Um, knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer. That our, that our idea of God, 
Let me try again. That our idea of God corresponds as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of immense importance to us. Compared uh, with our creedal statements, our actual thoughts about him are the things that matter. Our real idea of God may, be, may lie buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions and may require an intelligent and vigorous search before it is finally unearthed and exposed for what it is. Only after an ordeal of painful self-probing are we likely to discover what we actually believe about God. You see, for most people, Christian or not, God becomes this silent, behind-the-scenes, unspoken symbol of why the world is the way it is. See what I'm saying? What we believe about the cosmos, what you believe about the world, what you believe about the universe is woven into what you believe about God. And for most people, their description of ultimate reality is really a description of who they think God is. So let me give you an example. You'll hear stuff like, I've been around the block. I know I can't trust anyone. Everyone's out to get you. Everyone's a liar. Life's hard. Dog eat dog world. Reality's a bitter pill. You gotta toughen up, son. Thick your skin, you know, get thick skin. You need that, right? If you're gonna make it in this world, right? And, oh yeah, dude, I get it. Yeah, life is hard. What do you think God's like? Well, he's hard. He's cruel. He's brutal. He made everything, but doesn't give a rip about you. I mean, maybe he made everything, right? And what you're really getting at when people describe what they think life is like is actually what they think God is like. And it's coupled with how they are trying to cope with the loss of innocence they feel. See, a lot of people live with a sense of lost innocence, lost purity, lost dreams, lost ideals. And we cope with that loss by adjusting what we really believe about reality and God. So, We expected God to be good. We expected life to be good. And we got bad. How do you resolve that tension? Hey, you listen to me, right? How do you resolve that tension? You expected life to be good and it was bad. Well, most of us will recalibrate to cynical naysayer. We say, I expected good. I got bad. Recalibrate. Life, I guess, is supposed to be trash. And people are supposed to be trash. Because that's what my experience has said, right? We think, I used to believe in all that Christian jargon. I used to believe in goodness, but I've been around the block, man. And I've lived a little. And life is suffering. It's hard. Huh? Youth, on the other hand, still believe life was made to be brilliant. And it's why some of us envy them. So we end up looking at youth with contempt and labeling them naive. And really, I just think you're envious. I think you're jealous that they still believe life was made to be brilliant. Hmm? And the Bible assumes that we live in a world that was supposed to echo the praises of its creator at every facet, but has been fractured, broken, splintered all the way down to the molecular level by sin. Eden has been lost according to the Bible. God gave us a good earth and we broke it with sin. And now we make assumptions about God from a broken, death-filled earth, which is not the earth he created day one, okay? For many people, 
The real question is, the real equation, I'm sorry, to life is, I thought God was good, difficulty hit my life, sorrow, heartache, therefore God must not be good. You see, so what does God first have to do in redemption for you? He has to first redeem your perception of him. He has to first address that. He has to redeem you by first redeeming your perception of him. We tracking? See, the first sin wasn't taking a bite out of an apple. How silly is this? No, no, no. The first sin was thinking false thoughts about God. The first sin was thinking thoughts about God that were not worthy of him. Thoughts that demeaned and accused his character. The first sin was questioning who God had shown himself to be. That was the first sin. The first sin was this thought deep down in their heart and mind that said, he's keeping the best stuff for himself. That was the first sin. God is holding out on me. Questioning him. Does he really know what's best? Does he really care about you? Who is this God? Right? You're your own God. And if we don't get high off of that sense of self-fulfillment and self-creation and self-exaltation and your pride calls you to question God, then the enemy pulls this card and look at the world. Look at the evil. Look at your own life. How can he be good? If God's all good and all powerful, why is there suffering? Have you heard that one? Just real quick, just, just side note, one of the fallacies in this idea this idea of equating all good and all powerful with meaning that there shouldn't be any suffering in the world. Well, it, it, the fallacy here is uh, all good and all powerful does not mean he, that other people have no power. You can be all good and all powerful and share your power. It doesn't mean that no one else has any autonomy or power. In fact, would you describe someone who controls everyone like a puppet, who forces them to do everything they do as good? Would you describe someone who takes away the sense of self-choice? It gives them no opportunity to choose for themselves. You can be all good and all powerful and still give others room to express their autonomy. That's another conversation. I know we won't get, that's fine. We don't want to talk about it. I don't, I, don't, I don't care what you think about that. I'm just saying, this is my idea, okay? You can be all good and all powerful and still give other people a room to express their autonomy. And if you look at the Bible, what we find is a God who shares, a, shares authority from day one. Go, rule, rule, subdue, right? God shares authority. He shares power. But what happens with so many is we begin to define God only by our experience instead of his word in the life and teachings of Jesus. And the subtle confusion sneaks everywhere into our spiritual life. Here, here it plays itself out. Here's how it plays itself out. Uh, maybe you had an uh, abusive, verbally, physically, bitter, harsh, insecure dad. And then pastor, who had a loving, kind, merciful dad, stands up with a beaming smile and says, God's like a father. <laughs> and you think, no thanks. I, I've, I've shared this story before. I'll share it again because it's so uh, 
provoking. Uh, Mark Rutland was praying with a young girl after a, a, a thing, and her head was down, hair was covering her face. Young lady, would you like to pray? Yes, she said. Well, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. He said, just repeat after me, Heavenly Father. Nothing. Miss, just, just repeat after me. Are you ready? Yes. Still head down, hair covering her face. Just repeat after me, Our Father in Heaven. Nothing. Waiting. Waiting. Ma'am, is there... Is there a problem? She, she raises her head, and for the first time, he sees her face, which was black and blue. Right? She said, Mister, I've got all the Father I can handle. See, when we come to God, we have to realize we bring all of the complexity of our pasts and our associations and our experiences to the table. And for some of us, the lives we've lived, the sorrows we've endured, there's no way we could ever conclude that God is good simply based on your experience. I mean, just think for a second of all the things I mentioned, all the ways in which the world's broken and how that's worked its way onto the pages of history. Violence, theft, murder, genocide, racism, all these things, physically abusive households, verbally abusive households, relational turmoil, betrayal, molestation, exploitation. And then you have things like natural disaster and sickness. The Christian says the result of the fall, fires, tornadoes, tsunamis, earthquakes, killing thousands in moments, cancer, Alzheimer's, all these things. We don't even have to look to the world for most of us. We can think from our own experiences just in this room alone. If we were to recall all of the evil and wickedness that we've had to endure, it would be a sobering meeting. Maybe you bear the brunt of a controlling, lying, manipulative CEO, right? Maybe your family's falling apart, but somehow amongst all of our own sins and being subject to other people's sins, God wants to know, God wants you to know that he's good. And he wants you to trust in his kindness. And if you don't feel the, nat the radical nature of this claim, you might be half asleep. We need to be honest with how difficult it may be at times to assert the goodness of God. Maybe the reason for some of us, the goodness of God doesn't land on us because you're not being honest with how hard it is to reconcile that with the world. Faith, listen, listen, faith isn't brushing all of our past hurts under the rug and acting like it didn't happen. Faith isn't whitewashing the world. It's not treating sin as if it's not that bad. That's not faith. That's delusion. That's repressing, that's denial, that's avoidance, that's escapism, okay? But at some point, we have to be able to look at all of our past, all of our wrathful behavior and the wrathful behavior of others, right? All of the disobedience of others and our own self and decide for ourselves: is God's goodness greater than these things? Is his goodness stronger than the badness? Is his light stronger than the darkness amongst all the oppressive, harsh realities of life, which I am in no way trying to belittle right now. My question for you is what will you tether your heart to? Will you tether your heart to the idea that God is good or that life is hard? Because look at me, both are true. Both are true. The question is which one's greater in your mind? That's the question. What does the bloodied, marred, beaten figure of a man nailed to a cross mean to you? Doesn't it mean that God refused to leave us alone in our suffering, but instead stepped into it? 
Like, doesn't it mean that God saw our suffering and even took it upon himself, that God was beaten too? That violence was done to him too? That he was subjected to the sins of others too? See, I think God just doesn't want to redeem our souls, but he wants to redeem our pasts, our experiences, our minds, our concept of father, our concept of heaven, uh, of, of husband, sorry, of love. I think his salvation is so powerful that it reaches back and can give new meaning and purpose even to our most depraved and hopeless mem- memories. The power, guys, of the redemption of Jesus is stronger than your darkest memory and can heal even the past. And I think he longs to infuse his goodness into our lives, past, present, and future. The difficulty is when our experience of this life points towards a harsh and cruel universe, and thus a harsh and cruel God. And if you don't sense this struggle, I'm not sure if you're in touch with reality. You might have an unexamined faith. For so many people, y'all, that aren't in this room right now, It's the suffering in the world that puts a hard stop to any talk of God being good, right? How many times do you have to go through a rough season, lose a job, get get fired, get a flat tire, right? Just get cut off in traffic, right? Come on, Lord, right? I mean, that we eventually raise a fist to God. Throw me a bone, Lord, right? And we look around upon a universe that is seemingly completely absent of God, and then we begin to draw our own short-sighted conclusions about what he must really be like. How do we, as Christians, watch the news and then hold to a benevolent, loving creator abounding in steadfast mercy? Well, the scripture tells us, all right, let's wrap it up with this. The scripture tells us, verse four, but God, but God, although we see Death and disobedience, that's right. We see wrath, that was in there. Did you see that? We see people living reckless. We see people indulging every desire and passion. We see broken relationships, but God, even when we were dead, this is what we just read. Even when we were following the world under the influence of spiritual darkness, living in disobedience, all that stuff is acknowledged in the scripture, right? Wrath living in the passions of your flesh, carrying out evil desires. It calls us children of wrath, guys. Come on, it's like, oh, right? But God, it acknowledges all that stuff. It doesn't brush it under, but God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive. But God, y'all, this is what we hold to as Christians. Not that life is easy. (laughs) That's not what we hold to. It's not that... Not that bad things won't happen, y'all. It's not on the table. It's not the promise. Not that suffering doesn't happen. In fact, if you read the New Testament, what you're going to see is those who follow Jesus are like kind of guaranteed it. Okay? It's like the opposite of what we think, right? It's not, that, it's not that men aren't bad. We don't believe that. It's not that we ourselves weren't wrathful and disobedient. We don't hold, guys, to our goodness, to our abilities, to our morality, or that we didn't contribute to the mess right? We did. You did. I did. To be Christian is to acknowledge all of that willingly. Yes, life can be merciless. huh? Sickness and death feels unfair, natural disaster, all war, all these things like roll over the earth like a dark wave. But God, see, sometimes I think we sing songs about God's goodness disconnected from the rest of our lives. I really do. 
I think it's precisely in the midst of a broken, wicked world, in the midst of the prince of the power of the air, it's in the darkness that his faithfulness and love shine the brightest. And the contrast is overwhelming. Some of us don't feel the contrast because we we're not just not thinking about all of life. We've, we've compartmentalized. And here's little God's little section, and then here's real life. It's no wonder your faith feels impotent. When it comes together, the contrast of the goodness of God with your own wickedness and the wickedness of the world, the contrast is overwhelming. So much so we have to mitigate it most of the times, right? Our eyes are so accustomed to the darkness that when we see the brilliance and the goodness of God, it either shatters us into a billion pieces and puts us back together, or we turn our eyes away quickly. Huh? When we sing, God is good. We sing it over all the heartless, callous evils in the world. When we sing, God is good, we're saying, we're singing about a goodness towards us that is untainted by circumstance. It's unshaken by failure. Not even sin or death could defy it. Can I say something to you right now? His love is not intimidated by your darkness. I don't care how Jerry Springer things got, all right? His love is not intimidated by your darkness. His goodness is not threatened by your doubts. It's immovable, majestically unconcerned with your faithlessness. His goodness is the great unchanging truth of the cosmos. Do you feel your heart saying yes to that right now or do you feel your heart saying nah? When we sing about the goodness of God, we proclaim the power of the gospel within the context of our real lives, with all of its inconsistencies and insecurities. It is not ignoring suffering or pain or heartache. It's just saying, praise the Lord. His goodness is not dependent on me. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. See, we have to, in order for us to love people, we have to ignore things about them so that we can be kind to them. See, we have to do things like when we see inconsistencies and flaws, if we're gonna be a loving person, I wanna be a loving person, all right? Unfortunately, this guy's a moron, right? So in order to love this moron, what I have to do is ignore that fact. I have to brush it under the rug. I have to act like it doesn't exist. I have to act like, well, this is how we do a family, right? We're about to see, some of us can about to see family. <laughs> and you know family, don't you? Yeah, you know how messed up they are. You see the cracks. You see the depths of their depravity. And so how family normally deals with it in our own flesh is we say, well, I'm just going to ignore that and not talk about it ever. We're gonna act like that doesn't exist. We're gonna act like he never did that. We're gonna act like that's not an addiction. We're just gonna ignore it. That way I can love them. God does not do that with you. He acknowledges the mess and he loves you anyway. That's the scandal, guys. That's the scandal of the gospel. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't whitewash. He doesn't brush it under the rug. He says, you're a wrath, you're a child of wrath. And as a child of wrath, I will die for you. And I will take on the wrathfulness that you deserve onto myself. This is the God we serve. His goodness is not dependent on your, mora your morality, your abilities. We have to turn a blind eye to love people. He does not. His love is not pretentious. His love is not circumstantial. 
It is given to us freely, right? And then he has the audacity to call us his workmanship. Created for good works, which means that his goodness longs to be expressed now through you for his purposes in the earth. That's what that means. This passage is saying that we were once dead, disobedient, under the control of darkness, but God, rich in mercy, acted on our behalf and now intends to work his good works through you to the earth. I just want to say to you, man, be, I don't know if this, but be encouraged today. You are in the family of God who insists that the goodness of God transcends and can reach into the most despairing dark places. I think today, some need to realize that what you really believe about God has been more influenced by a broken world than by Jesus. And I just wanna say to you, hey, listen, your experience is not a liar, okay? Like, the world's broken, right? Meant to reflect his goodness, fractured. And if we paint God with our own ideas and our difficulties and our experiences, instead of hearing him on his own terms, we end up with a God that's no God at all. It's not the God of the New Testament. In fact, it's an idol. It's something that is not God. It's a projection of yourself a lot of times onto God. That's, that's not who God is. That's not how, who he's revealed himself to be. You've constructed a God out of your own experiences. We have to see God for who he is. And the first and foremost place where we see that is in, the, is in Jesus. This is where it becomes clear. Guys, if you want to be a Christian, you have to see God for who he is. See, our hearts can break for the suffering of the world. Wrap up with this story, right? We, like, like you don't have to be a Christian to get that. Yeah, world's broken. Oh man, oh sad, right? Our hearts break for our suffering, rightly so. You know, I mean, this stinks. Can I say, until your heart breaks for the suffering of God, you don't love him. God has suffered. Until we see his suffering and dying on the tree as the most clear revelation of who God is, we do not see him as he is. So if you're here today and you want to believe in the goodness of God, but you just can't reconcile this one thing, maybe it's from your past, maybe it's going on right now, maybe it happened 30 years ago, maybe it happened yesterday. If you want to believe in the goodness of God, but there's this one thing that you say, yeah, accept that. That's what I'm doing now. Close your eyes right now. Close your eyes. It, there's a lot of things in our lives right now that point to the idea that God is not good. This is what I want you to do. If you, if you want to, you don't have to, I don't care, <laughs> whatever, all right? But if you want to, I want you to put your hands in your lap. I want you to close your fists. I want you to think of all the reasons that you have right now to justify the idea that God is not good. Circumstance, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's just everything. And I want you, if you want, to believe that God is good. I, I want you to open your hands of those things right now. I want you to release to God in faith 
all of the reasons why you would say he's not good. Give it to him right now. Trauma, betrayal, the frustration. I want you to open your hands of that and let's ask God in place of that to give us faith. Faith.